Welcome back to the Horseman's Corner. We're on the final segment of today's show. I'm Howard Hale, host of the program, and with me today is Richard Strake. And this is an interview that I did with Richard probably five or six years ago at the Rocky Mountain Horse Expo when he was doing some work there. Richard is an interesting individual, has what he calls resistance-free training, and uh, is expert in a lot of areas. Matter of fact, he has a lot of endorsements from some very good horsemen, including Lynn Palm and Sally Swift, as an example. And uh, it was interesting to talk to Richard about bits. That's what we're going to talk about mostly on this part of the program. And uh, let's get right into it and visit with Richard. Richard, what should people understand when they're looking at their bit and figuring out what kind of a bit they should be using on their particular horse? If they understand that the bit is a way to communicate and and work with a horse like a, like a carpenter has a hammer for a tool, well, to a good horseman, the bit is also a tool that lets him communicate through his fingers and his hands to this horse's mind and uh, when they know one, when one is severe like a, a, a claw hammer compared to a sledgehammer or whatever that the different bits are like different tools each one will communicate in a little different way uh, some are going to be mild some are going to be severe and when the people truly understand that and what is severe what is mild they then can let their horse tell them through kind of red and green lights what he's really wanting to have in his mouth and communicate with. So if they listen to their horses, uh, that horse is actually going to tell them where he's at as far as what he needs. What are some of the qualities that you look for in a good bit? And I don't care whether we're talking about severe or mild. I sure. think there's some things in common, aren't there? Oh, absolutely, without question. Taste is really important because if a horse likes the, the bit, he'll lick it. You'll hold it like a sucker, and we've proven with horses on treadmills that when they like the bit, they lick the bit, they have a little saliva in their mouth. It's it's a natural release of a natural tranquilizer called a beta endorphin. So when he likes it, like a good pair of shoes that are really comfortable, he'll work his best. And the, those qualities, uh, I feel, are sweet iron as far as the material they're made out of, maybe with a little copper. Uh, I particularly like bits that are smooth. Uh, I don't like a twisted or a, or a wire bit. I like one that's uh, smoother and doesn't quite give quite a severity to it. Uh, I like tapered bits because horses' mouths are always in three levels. Lips, tongue, bars, kind of like a cake, frosting cake and metal pan. And when you have a bit that's tapered, it communicates to the horse's lips. And when you have that, you have a light horse. Uh, you have a horse that works on uh, not only a light rein, but a, almost a mental communication. So uh, so those are the things I feel that are important. Do you make your own line of bits or have them made for you? You know, we do, and uh, uh, I, of course, would like to have everybody use them. I'm, I'm not here to, to, you know, try to sell bits, but I think if anybody really wants to know uh, educate yourself go to your books go to your videos go to uh, a good professional horseman that can show you how to use a two-piece snaffle compared to a three how to handle the curb like in a snaffle we, we always use with two hands use a snaffle with one hand and you're especially a two-piece snaffle and you're banging this horse in the you know in the top of his roof of his mouth 
so learn how to use them and learn what you're dealing with uh, like you would a pair of shoes. Uh, you wouldn't wear a pair of logging boots to a, to a dance. On the same token, you wouldn't wear a pair of street shoes up in the mountains to climb through the rocks. Richard, you have a lot of videos out and, and some books, and there are a lot of other clinicians, and, and there are quite a few good clinicians anymore. Good material out there. People need to take advantage of that material, don't they? Because they can come to one of your clinics, and then these videos and books, don't they serve as a reminder? I really appreciate you saying that, Howard, because it's not any different than being a doctor or a lawyer. Uh, you can't just pull this out of the air. And, and the books and the videos are, are, is the backup material. It's the homework. And when you understand knowledge, and it'll open up so many doors for you. Like this radio program, I, I enjoy doing these interviews because I enjoy you, Howard. But I also know that if I am able to uh, give someone a little tip, like... Uh, the, the, what the metal's made out of, the horses like it, the sweet iron better, or uh, use a snaffle with two hands, not one. If that helps one horse, hey, we've done our job, cowboy. One of the things that I'm noticing about a lot of the people who are clinicians anymore, they really are interested, you guys are interested in the horse. Oh, absolutely, uh, because, you know, the horse is a student that really can't uh, write you a letter or email you and... Uh, and get your attention. Uh, we've got to learn his language, and uh, we're, he's the one that, that uh, we've got to really listen to, like a doctor. Uh, if a doctor doesn't listen to their patient, they don't know how to treat him. They don't know what medicine to use. Well, a horse trainer that doesn't listen to his horse or care for that horse isn't a very good professional. Another thing that you've talked about here at the Expo is the value of a horse. How do you determine what their value is? But an offshoot of that, isn't it a good idea to know what the horse is capable of so you're not trying to put a square peg in a round hole? People always ask me because they know that uh, I'm, of course, interested in resistance-free training that we've been doing for 20 years. And uh, they ask me, uh, is there still the abuse around? And, of course, there isn't uh, the old tie-em-down, stomp them anymore. But where the abuse, as I see it as a professional today, is... Uh, People taking a really nice horse uh, that's a round peg and jamming it into a square hole. And because he's not capable of doing what they're asking him, uh, we've got horses that uh, are physically, mentally going through a lot of abuse. Yeah, because uh, a horse may be a fine horse out on the trail and a lot of fun to ride. Now, may not be worth the darn as a cutting horse. Oh, amen. You know, we see that all the time. Or in the reverse you know, uh, that cutter that's bred to be alert and watch every move, whether it's a bird or a cow or a cow flops her ear, he's got to come alive or he doesn't do his job. But out on the trail, if he happens to watch a bird or maybe uh, uh, look off up into the tree at something else, the trail rider doesn't want him kind of gazing around all the time, so he's kind of pulling on him and getting after him. And it's not fair to a really intelligent horse to be jerking on him because he is looking around, but yet heck, he's bred to, to do that. And I guess the other thing, and of course you talk when we talk about value, we always put monetary value on things, but it's more than that. I d do we have to understand that that horse is a valuable animal, that they, almost all of them have some worth somewhere, somehow? Boy, amen, Howard. You know, uh, 
every horse is like a library book in my book. That's why I'm so blessed to do a lot of clinics and work with a lot of people. You know, uh, one of the neat things is to be able to help them understand what their horse can do. And uh, we do our seminars and we put the people and the horses together. And when they know what he can do, and of course what he can't do, they can be kind of forgiving. And I have yet to work with a horse, and this is a real, this is coming from my heart. I have not, well, or a, or a person, a human being that loves horses, that that didn't at least have something to take to the table. You know what I mean? Uh, every every horse we have out there is capable of doing one thing or something that's going to be beneficial. And the people that love horses, because they do, there's little talents that they have. They may be hidden. But when we find them and they're aware of them, boy, they can go to town with them. So never give up on people or horses. Richard Srake, Oregon horseman and clinician, always an interesting individual to talk to. Good to have him uh, impart some of the information that he has that's really worthwhile. And it was good to have Juliana Zundi on the first half of the program. Well, actually, the first three segments of the program as well, because it's interesting to get that perspective of a hunter-jumper type of uh, horsemanship. We don't always have that on the Horseman's Corner. Next week on the Horseman's Corner, we're going to be talking with a gentleman from up in South Dakota who has the Rainbow Bible Camp, and then also going to be talking with a Torrington, Wyoming horseman that really has some good information. Not a lot of people know of him, but he really does a good job. So those two will be on next week, and hope you folks have a great Thanksgiving. Doesn't seem like Thanksgiving ought to be here already, but Here it is, whether we're ready for it or not. Hope you have a good one. Well, it's time to close out today's show. I'm Howard Hale, host of the program. I'll say goodbye. May God bless. See you next week, same time, same place.